What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees uh, and other related topics. <laughs> I scared Casey. You did. Every now and then when we do this, uh, you know, sometimes if you're feeling chill, you're just like, hey, Fungal Associates, yeah. what's going on? Uh, welcome to Fresh Air with Alex Croson. And then other times, uh, you're we like do something and we have to like redo it, and you come back in like you're a surfer riding a giant wave straight to shore. Yeah, I Kool Aid anyway. man my way into the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what happened. That was so good. Well, here we are. Uh, this is the podcast about trees and other related topics. I'm Alex Croson. I am Casey Clapp. Hi, Casey. Hello, Alex. Go, go ahead and take a drink of your I'll water. I'll take a drink of my water. Um, we might need to pause, actually, because I think I may need to, in fact, now uh, figure out my laptop. For those of you uh, paying attention oh, at wow. home, my laptop um, today decided it doesn't want to stay plugged in, though it's plugged in. Yeah. Yeah. So a bit of a power issue. It is. Yeah. It's got some power issues, for sure. I would call it a power struggle. I think it is. Yeah. I, I think that's the best possible description. You're certainly struggling with it. Yeah. So I'm going to... Uh, we're going to switch uh, to a different uh, a different thing real fast and i'm also going to take a drink of water yeah well let's let's take a quick break <laughs> thanks for listening everybody we'll be right back with more completely arbitrary although to you it will just seem like an edit and we're going to start that now okay so we're back nothing has changed <laughs> we tried to get the ipad going but it's acting funny yeah we're we're just gonna do this one live and we're gonna keep it all in the noggin wow right bill o'reilly style that's right yeah i think we actually brought up bill o'reilly last week too so i think we did we're having a bill o'reilly kind of kind of couple weeks here i uh i don't like that i'm sorry we, we should, should stop we, mentioning bill o'reilly we'll I, change I think it was me twice uh, yeah oh times. my god that's true yeah whatever you what are you up to what's in your mind right now that one video of yeah. him saying fuck it we'll do it live which honestly Honestly, such a good video. It's pretty classic. Like, it is such a classic video of just a freak out. <laughs> just a uh, monster losing it on his underlings. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, okay, dude. Yeah. Hi. Welcome. <laughs> I'm pissed. <laughs> okay. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Playing us out. What is Sting. That? What, what is, is that? that? so funny uh, all uh, right geez. enough with bill o'reilly we'll talk about him next year yes Casey. exactly alex good morning to you good morning to you i'm sorry that's been a bit of a stressful morning <laughs> that's okay Life a lot happens. of shit going on um, it is something exciting i have a show tonight that's right unfortunately if you're listening oh, to right. this though you've missed it by a week i had a show last week <laughs> uh yeah it is very exciting we're all gonna come, uh, go out and watch you tonight yeah it's gonna be very good. so uh the uh, it's also at one of my favorite pubs here in portland the right. alberta street pub the alberta street pub i do have a qualm with it though uh-oh historically they had really really good like chicken strips like oh, chicken tenders okay i have a just a soft spot in my heart for good chicken tenders you're a bit of a connoisseur i really like them in fact you recommended that i go to <gasps> dave's hot chicken yes they did last weekend <gasps> you did it was it was pretty good i'm glad you liked it so they're sans the spice of the dave's hot chicken yeah if you uh had that same kind of like really juicy well cut well breaded yeah. clearly a natural piece of meat not like you know the things that you get that are like freeze dried that you're like oh my god this right. is that's not the shape of compound what. chicken yeah exactly which i find horrif just horrifying yeah 
historically, uh, Alberta Street Pub had that delicious kind of chicken. Like, it blew me away when I got it. I was like, oh my God, this is way better than I'd expect. Yeah. And they like moved them up notches because they have good beer that I like. They had great chicken strips of a reasonable price. All good. I see where this is going. I went back a while back and uh, I got those chicken strips and they were the freeze dried. Like, just open the bag, dump it out. There you go. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God. God, that's too bad. It's too bad. So I just, I, I'm going to let them know because I feel like I have to <laughs> just to say, I'm not, it's not that I'm going to stop coming here, uh, but you change your chicken strips and it's unacceptable. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like even if you, even if you lower the price, which I don't think they did. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's not good. Exactly. My, my biggest, uh, food casualty of 2020 uh, was ranch pizza. Here oh in yeah. It was it was the best pizza I'd ever had. It and Dino's yeah. kind of tied for first. They're different styles. Ranch yeah. is Detroit style. Uh-huh. And then at some point in 2020, something changed. Really? Like overnight. In, oh, in 2020? Yeah. Not 2021. No, 20, not 2022. No, no, not 2019. Okay, no, no. so this is this is a food casualty from like the pandemic two, two basically. years ago. Okay, yeah. yeah. And I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> you are. I remember actually Ranch Pizza, I introduced you to that because I was like, there's this new delicious pizza. And you're like, what? Oh, wow. I, like, I don't remember Ranch. this. Yeah, I think I brought one over and you were like, Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. And then you got it all the time. But it's like, you know, I'm not trying to take ownership. It's like someone introduces you to something, you're like, holy shit. But I remember distinctly because you're you're a big fan of pizza. And I live right next to it. So I was like, I got this place. I think you're my work. Yeah, you know, they've really, something something in their recipe, something in the way they cook the pies changed. It's just not what it used to be. And it's really upsetting. Yeah, I think what happened. So, you know, they started as a food cart, right? I did not know that. They started as a food cart. And now they're like a chain. Now they're like a chain. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that they probably, it's the same thing with like Stumptown Coffee. When it first started, it was small, artisanal. Now they're like a national brand. Yeah. So the quality just can't keep up with the, with the industrialization of it. That's the reason right. that In-N-Out refuses to expand. Yeah, which is fine, but also good. Well, do you not like In-N-Out? I don't like In-N-Out. Their burgers? Don't like their burgers. Okay. You enough. know what? You know how some people, uh, in fact, I had the same thing with, uh, what, Dick's up in Seattle? Oh, yeah. Where, you know, it's just a fast food shitty burger. The, oh, the, I don't know about that, It's Casey. the same kind of burger you get everywhere else. Maybe the meat is a higher quality, but it's still a patty that is like thin and tiny. It's the white bread with the weird, the, oh, our secret sauce. Our secret sauce is the same like mayo ketchup thing in every place. Yeah, that's good. It, yeah, but it's not your secret sauce. Well, theirs has other stuff in it. All right, that's but fair. It, it's 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 about execution, Casey. So, okay, so yeah, convince me here. What what well, is I'm it that like you a, like I'm, about I'm it? I'm not like an In and Out guy. I'm not okay. like one of these people who's obsessed with In and Out. Like I have to get it first thing when I land in L.A. Yeah, right. Or I'm, I don't obviously don't live where it's around a yeah. lot. Um, but I think it is definitely in the top echelon of like fast casual burger places. Mm, okay. I, are you putting it on the same same platform as like? Like McDonald's? I mean, it's probably, I would say it's above McDonald's, yeah, but okay. not far. Like, I, I don't like those casual fast burgers. Like, I want a burger that had, had some, had some time and thought that went into it. Okay. Like, Do I want the, I want the, to imagine the guy in the back being like, okay, yeah, burger. Casey's smashing the patty in his hands. Yeah. Do you like a Do you like a smash burger? Or do you like a thick, juicy patty? I like a, th- a thick, juicy one. Okay, grilled or uh, pan fried? 
both, either one I think okay. works. But okay. I, I honestly, I couldn't sit here and tell you uh, that I've had knowingly the difference other than when I've made it myself. Brioche bun? Uh, yeah, probably way more. White bun? No. You like a brioche? I, I do not like the white bun. Okay, no, like a sesame bun? Awful. Uh, not really, because it's just sesame on top of white bun. Okay. Do you like veggies on your burger? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Like what veggies? Tomatoes, mm, fried onions, and garlic and mushrooms. Okay, that's pretty. That's pretty. Uh, in, that's pretty indie, I would say. Is yeah, in terms I'd say. Of I'd say that's burger fair. veggies. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, that's okay. But not I, tomato I, and lettuce. Uh, yeah, I would put some lettuce. You can probably leave the tomato off because okay. the tomato that you're going to put on is one of those like Roma tomatoes that ripen on the vine that R- taste horrible and have no flavor to them the out of season yeah. tomatoes that, they, that are like p- translucent pink yes if you bring yeah. if you if you go out to your garden you get a big beef steak <sighs> and you cut that and then you put a slice of that on my burger yes yeah man in one big piece of lettuce i don't want all that like giant stuff all the time you put an egg on top of it also good you don't like shredded lettuce shredded uh, it's fine but again it's one of those things where i know the shredded lettuce is completely flavorless just you know leaf okay but i've had uh you know hannah my partner has had a huge amount of delicious vegetables that she's grown because she is a vegetable grower yeah so uh as a farmer i got rather because she's a farmer i got like such top-notch quality produce sure you got a little spoiled yeah exactly so now it's like oh you know what if it's not good quality and it's like a big piece of it just keep it off sure give me the stuff that's good See, I'm not a I'm not a vegetable on a burger kind of person. Really? I like a burger that is basically just and I like the I like it, you know me. I like everything across the spectrum of quality. Like yeah, okay, I love yeah. McDonald's. I love That's like fair. a homemade you have like, a, fresh ground burger. Yeah, I think you you put it in the right category where I have like category burger and then I look down and I'm like, "Well, what's good, what's bad?" Right. And you have category Good burger, bad burger, homemade burger, this kind of burger. And for me, there's room for all of those. Exactly. And each one of those categories has a good and a bad spectrum yes. within it. Yes. Thank yeah. you, Casey. Yeah, I, I feel get so you. seen. I do. I got you on that. <laughs> but I love just like a good bun, good beef, and cheese, maybe, yeah. and then like mayo. Mm. That's my perfect burger. Hey, all right. That's fair. I'm, I'm trying to think of what the. I think give me like two of those. Okay, yeah, give me two of those, uh, and I'm going to sit here for a while. And the American cheese hate is really absurd. Honestly. It's it's perfect for what it's good at. (sighs) People act like it's, oh, it's not... It's not an aged camembert. I'm not going to eat American <laughs> cheese. Well, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't need to hold the same space uh, as even like a good cheddar. See, I think this is an important distinction that we've learned about ourselves. This like breaking down of many spectrums versus one big spectrum. Yeah, uh, you and I respectively, because I am on that hate like hard. In fact, if there if I'm looking at a burger. And I'm like, I'm really in the mood for a burger. And I look at it and all their burgers have American cheese. I'm not getting a burger. Casey, I want to say right now. Please. In 2023, we can, <laughs> we, can, we can bring it down a little bit if we want. Set the timeline. I will make you a burger with American cheese. Jeez. Oh, and you don't have to eat the whole thing, but I, I only request one bite, Casey. That's fair. I'll, and I'll I do it. I bet you that you will like it. I'm sure I will. Like, I know that. But I also, like, it's that I dislike peeling like plastic off the top of my mouth with my tongue 
That's what it feels like when I eat American cheese. I hate cheese. when people call American cheese plastic. Well, that's so uh, reductive. It's it, not plastic. It is. Oh it my is God. not plastic. It's essentially plastic. It, it's like whey protein pressed into a cheese matter. It's oh, not geez. plastic. You're it's not... made of milk. I don't think it's. I don't think that's helping me out. It's made of milk. <laughs> All oh, right, Casey. Geez. We're here to talk about a tree. Should we edit any of that out? You absolutely think? not. Absolutely not. This is this is the way this is the way this podcast is. This is what the people are asking oh, for. Oh Lord. If you if you're new, we don't do that often, but I would really love to leave all that yeah, in because I feel very passionate about away. it all. We all do. Right. We well, do. yeah, I have my passion at times. You have your passion at times. Last That's week right. was a big passion at time for me. Oh yeah. And did I edit some of that out? Sure. I most likely. <laughs> no, actually in the Q&A section, I think I just let it run. So oh, I, I didn't yeah. I didn't know where to cut. Hey, that's good. Sorry everyone. You went into a fugue state and just started <laughs> spewing all this Casey's stuff. Casey's floating. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> well, Casey, we're here to talk about a tree. Yes, this week we are talking about a tree. And that tree is the interestingly named Brewer Spruce. Yes, Alex. It is named after one Professor W.H. Brewer. Wow. Who lived between 1828 and 1910. Okay. And this person, uh, he was a in connection with the California State Geological Society and uh, was worked as the, a part of their survey crew. We're talking. Um, we're talking. Uh, there will be blood. Era. That sounds like a, a yes. character. That guy's name sounds like a character. In the oh yeah, um, Professor W. H. Brewer. Yeah, I'm here to find your trees. That's pretty good. Thank you. I love that movie. Yeah, it's, a, it's great. It's a wonderful film. Um, yes. Okay. So we're talking about the Brewer spruce today. Yep. I should say a lot of people also call it the weeping spruce. Weeping so, spruce. Yeah. I, I oftentimes like to refer to trees more more in that way than uh, a person really thing okay. all the time just because a person related thing gives you nothing it's like the scientific name picea breweriana right all you know is that oh it's the brewer spruce easy to remember the name but you get nothing from it it's sort not a descriptor of, at all sort of an ego-based naming system yeah and i don't like i a part of me does appreciate it like the naming system that con, uh, convention of naming after somebody is kind of like a respect thing yeah it's kind of nice douglas fir yeah, Douglas fir, exactly. But at the same time, it's nice to have something that like describes it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Because like I, I'm not gonna be like, oh, that tree looks just like Professor W. H. Brewer. <laughs> That's right. Um, every now and then, if like someone finds this wild thing and they say, actually, this is a different species, then you can like, you, I, I don't know. I feel like there's room for it. It has a place. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the American cheese of naming. Wow. But there are better names out there. There right. are crumblier names. There are names that are aged. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, I'm Casey, so tickled that I just did that. <laughs> we had the great opportunity and and kind of, uh, I don't know if we want to say this, sprinkled throughout this episode. Yeah. Uh, an interview with Michael Kaufman. Uh, why don't Casey, why don't you tell us who Michael Kaufman is, is and kind of why we spoke to him? Excellent, excellent question. So Michael Kaufman is a professor, an educator, an author um, who lives down in Humboldt, uh, California, mm-hmm. and which is now, uh, I think he teaches or at least works with Cal Poly uh, Humboldt. And Michael uh, came from Virginia, moved to Southern California, and would just go climb mountains in the desert and found all these cool conifers. And he ended up moving up to North uh, Northern California and was like, oh my God, there are like conifers on every other mountaintop, like yeah. different species. So he ended up putting together um, essentially a bunch of walks. And those walks would go... Um, 
find different conifers along different trails in different parts of the uh, of Northern California, Southern Oregon. And he did that. And then apparently um, some professors were like, you should just make this into your uh, your master's degree and basically mm. said, you, sir, need to come do a, do a master's with us. He then went over and got uh, involved doing this uh, his his master's work, which then ended up being him putting out these two books, Conifer Country and uh, Conifers of the Pacific Slope. Two books that I love very much because they are all about hiking to go find really intensely amazing <laughs> conifers. Yeah, we should say that Casey Clapp is a fan of yeah. Michael Kaufman. It was really cool. You know, I had I I don't. This shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. I had never heard of Michael Kaufman. I'm glad to have met him. Very nice guy. Yeah. Um, you were like, I was excited for you to talk to him because you're a, you're a big fan of his writing. It's a huge fan. I, and like, uh, and Michael reached out to us. And first thing, he was like, big fan of the show. And then uh, cool. he was like, hey, you might be interested. I wrote this new book. And it was his new book that he wrote is... Uh, the Klamath Mountains, a natural history. Mm. And I was like, we would love to talk to you about this. Oh my God. So you and I, we set up a, about an hour and a half where we just sat down and talked to him about his new book, about what is unique about these mountains. And specifically, we talked a little bit about our tree today, the Brewer Spruce or That's Brewer's right. Spruce. Oh, Brewer's Spruce. Yeah, I think it is the Spruce of Brewer. Like Fred Meyer's. Uh, Fred Meyer's store is the unwritten word there. No, but the, yeah, it's actually just Fred Meyer. Oh my God, you're right. There's no S at Albertsons. The uh, yes, exactly. So this is Brewer's Spruce <laughs> as in the Spruce of Brewer. Got it. If we were saying this in Spanish or French or something. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so we ended up sitting down and uh, got to hear thousand interesting things yeah. about um, the Klamath Mountains and the tree itself. And so we ended up, uh, we're going to pepper in some of these things because he's such a brilliant person and has gone and done so much in this area that you just have to be like, well, you're the, you're the expert. I don't even have enough room in my brain to have as much as you have right now yeah. about this one space in this world. And it's, it's just, it was such a delight to talk to him. That's right, Case. And we get to hear... A few selections from that interview. We're like we're like DJs. Like yeah. this is our playlist. All right, everyone. We're gonna get a little Michael Kaufman <laughs> here a little later. Everyone, just grab your best uh, your best nighttime yeah. drink and just sit down and relax. Here's Michael Kaufman with Conifer Country. We'll be right back with more completely arbitrary. Yes, it is. Oh Welcome God. back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking the Brewer Spruce or Brewer's Spruce. I like you said Brewer. Brewer Spruce. Yeah, it's or, kind of a hard word to say. Yeah, I, I, I realized at the end of that, I Ooh. never actually even said what the opposite name or the alternate name would be, but the Weeping Spruce. Did I say that? Yes, you did say oh, that. Okay, well, what perfect. is the Latin of this one? This is Picea Breweriana. Breweriana. Yeah, pretty You awful, guys, come on. Yeah, you got to be like, yeah, which, which sucks. Like, it's like. That's a bad name. It's a bad name. It's a, it's a really hard name to say, and I'm sure. There's been other taxonomists who I've I've read, and they are upset with how atrocious some names are. Yeah, so much to the point where they just say that's the worst possible name. We're not going to support it. Pick a different name. Yeah, no matter the convention of like priority and things like that. I think we should rally the troops and get this done with the Brewers Spruce. Yeah, it's honestly. So there is. I well, I don't know if there's a uh, Picea 
Pendula, but this would be oh, so the weeping, the weeping spruce, spruce. Picea pendula. Nothing will ever be Metasequoia glyptosporoides. No, God, no, ne- no, no, um, not at all. But also, that's such a good name. Yeah, like it. It's all classic. all the the vowels and the sounds line up. Yeah, it flows off the tongue really well. Yeah, it's like even though physically it's really a good name. Exactly. Uh, well, Casey, let's imagine that you and I are walking through the Klamath Mountains. We're taking a little hike with Michael Kaufman. Let's uh, imagine that, huh? That sounds so nice. And we come across some weeping spruce. Let's ID this tree. Let's get into it, Alex. So the first thing that, of course, is very obvious that you're going to notice, it is weeping. Wow. All of the branches of the tree like hang straight down. Hmm. So, of course, it's a tree, so it has certain branches that grow up and grow outright. But the thing is that it kind of looks like it's all drooping off. So like the main branch coming out will grow um, at a normal angle, but then all the twigs that come off of it are just draping down. Yeah. So it looks like it's um, like someone holding their arms out with like scarfs on it saying, hey, you want to buy these beautiful <laughs> scarfs? And that's kind of what it looks like, but maybe less scarfs, maybe like many different kind of necklaces that are of different lengths and things. Yes, that's the perfect descriptor, Casey. It also looks like it, it kind of took a hard hit in a storm or something. Yeah, it's oh, kind of a mess. Yeah, that's a perfect, uh, perfect descriptor. And so it has these beautiful little needles, and the needles, because of course the twigs are aimed straight down, so the needles shoot out um, at a perpendicular angle from those twigs as they're hanging down. So it kind of has this um, almost bottle brush appearance, and the tree itself has this um, this really like. Uh, cascading effect to it and Mm. it's this kind of like light bluish green kind of tinge and it has a um the like you can kind of see through it so it doesn't have like this very uniform crown it's just a really really nice tree it's pretty striking my my first glance is like oh what yeah and you're like i don't know how i feel about that yeah the more you look at it it's like oh there's it has a kind of a unique beauty to it it does yeah it's got a unique beauty to it and uh And that, I think, is what kind of sets it apart as a spruce. Um, But we're going to get into a little bit about that in a little bit. So it is a spruce, of course. So it has quadrangular um, needles, like needles you can spin in your finger. Oh, yeah. And they're very sharp and pokey. That's an important thing. Can I share a quick story? You may. On Christmas. Yeah. I went to my partner's parents' home. Yes. They had this 20-foot Christmas tree. Okay. And I identified it as a fur because I grabbed its needles and and, all these are very soft. I said fur F friendly. Like you taught me. It's so perfect. And I knew that it wasn't a spruce because spruces are dangerously pokey. They're very, very pokey. And yeah. pine is somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah, it depends on kind of the species. But yeah. yeah, but the really, to tell a pine, you actually would look at the number of needles would tell you right off the bat. Oh, is it two, two, three? And five. And five. Yeah, well done. Yeah. Oh, right. Pines come in fascicles. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And those okay. little bundles of, of different numbers of yeah. needles. Yeah, you get it. All right, go ahead. Well, there you go. Well, well done. So they are um, the, they're triangular in cross-section. I think I just said uh, quadrangular. quadrangular. So yeah. This is triangular. Okay. And they have um, these really beautiful cones that hang down. And the cones are, they can get almost like three or four inches long, Dang. which is really like weird for a spruce. A lot of spruces will get that long and they'll be perfectly um, uniform that entire time. Like Mm. the Norway spruce, for example, has big long cones, very, very like perfect the whole way down. Like they start, they're very conical and then they 
end and they're, they look very, very uniform. Right. This they don't look, in my opinion, quite as uniform. They actually kind of, uh, some look a little wiggly where like they don't quite stay at one curve or they don't go perfectly straight. They kind of curve a little bit and a little bit straight and they have some needles that are a bit, or some scales a little bit longer, a little bit bigger than um, another. So it's just kind of like, a little bit of a uh, a disheveled looking tree. We got in, some crooked cones. Way. Yeah, it's a little bit of a crooked coner. I mean, it, that's that's sort of on brand for this tree. Oh my god, isn't it? Yeah, it's just it's the fascinating thing about this tree is that it, it just like doesn't it doesn't do any of the things you expect for a a another spruce to do. Mm-hmm. And Alex, do you want to know why it doesn't do that? Why? Because it turns out yeah. this tree may be essentially. The sister species, maybe the sister lineage to whatever lineage created and begot all the other spruces in the entire world. So this is a say. Well, I'm going to repeat that back. Okay. This is like this tree is of a sister lineage. Yeah. To the prototypical spruce. Yes. Okay. I think that's a fine way to put it. Okay. Um, so let me let me give you a quick uh, a quick descriptor. So the way that I would describe it is that um, this is a basal member of the band the Spruces. Okay. Oh, they're they're bassist for those two years. <laughs> exactly. But rather, they're bassist who kept the band name, and then everybody else left and did their own thing. Oh, so if you think of wow. uh, like like the spruce A and the spruces are actually mostly clo- most closely related to the pines. So at some point, a spruce split off from a pine, and then was spruce A that that was the prototypical spruce. Okay, then that lineage split. One side is the Brewer spruce mm. that tucked its way in and kept living over here in the West Coast um, from all the way from Colorado to Idaho, Oregon, Nevada, California, and Oregon. Lived all over the place in this area. Just stayed there. That is where the initial, that prototypical spruce started. That's where the band started. (laughs) Then a bunch of them got creative differences and said, we're leaving. They then went over the uh, Beringian land bridge, which is between what is now Alaska and Russia. Right. And the spruces went over to Asia, went all the way down to all the cool mountains, all the greatest clubs. They then went over to the Alps. They hung out and then very likely either went over the land bridge that was at the time going between Europe and northern North America or went back across the Beringian land bridge at some other point, came back in, recolonized the United States, or what is now the United States and North America, and then went to all the different places that we have. And now there's about 35 species of spruce. All of those other 34 species of spruce came from that initial uh, vagabond, that initial troubadour <laughs> that left from the the first two and went and became all the other spruces in the entire world, came back and was like, oh my God, Brewer spruce, 
you're still here. You're huge now. And Brewer's Brew's been there this whole time. <laughs> Kept putting out all the best albums and chilling. Wow. Isn't okay. that wild? That's interesting. Which like helps to explain why it's such an interesting tree. It doesn't hybridize with any other spruce. Like not even the ones that are actually around it right now. The huh. Engelman spruce and the Sika spruce. So it's sort of its its its, its own... It's a, the solo project is yeah. really doing well. It's really doing well. And... Um, and does, it's fascinating. Does that does that mean like so when you think of like clades? Yeah. Is the brewer spruce like of its own clade? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So when you look at it, and there are um, if you go to again, I'm gonna keep on telling people this because I think it's a good reminder. Hmm. Go to the notes on our page, click on the very first one that says Picea Breweriana. That goes to a conifers.org uh-huh. um, sheet about it. And they have a cladogram, a cladogram, which is just saying here are all the species and how they're connected uh-huh. and what their most common ancestor was. So you have the very far left side, like the oldest spruce. Then it splits. One split goes over and is the branch that connects all the other spruces underneath it. And then if you go the opposite direction, (laughs) you go all the way down and it goes all the way over to one spruce, which is the brewer spruce. So Dang, I like this tree. It's fascinating, and it only grows in the Klamath Mountains, which is this area that we have in Southern Oregon and Northern California. We here in Oregon are best, uh, we would best know it as the Siskiyou Mountains. Okay. By the way, Casey was referring to, when we say the show notes. Oh, yes. Yeah. In case you're a new listener, you've never done this before. If you go to our website, arbitrarypod, that's A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-R-Y pod, Dot com, You can see all of our episodes there with a little picture. Click on one that you're interested in, and you have basically all the resources that Casey used to research for that episode. Yes, yeah. Not More necessarily all. Yeah, I put the big ones that really hit all the, all the yeah. good stuff, yeah. uh, but usually it's maybe three, four. I think the most I've ever had is like six or something. Sure. But it's under, under a header that says additional readings. Yeah, a lot of things are kind of redundant, so I just read several things to say the same thing. Sure. I put the best one. Um, other times, I just like, yeah, I'm going to do this, and you know what? The rest of it came from a brain. <laughs> but that's not necessarily the case this time. Um, Actually, a lot of this comes from reading that, um, reading about it there, also talking with Michael and also reading Michael's book, uh, his newest one, which is the... uh, the Klamath Mountains and natural history. There's yes. an entire like inset that just says the Brewer Spruce, why it's so cool. Hell yeah. And so before we go too far, I want to introduce our lovely guest, which is Michael Kaufman. And first we need to get a little bit of his credentials as to um, why he's qualified to talk about conifers. All right. I see the world through the eyes of conifers is <laughs> one way I like to say it. I mean, they're just so fascinating in, in case you know this stuff. But, you know, they're 350 million year old lineage. They've adapted to the world over deep time. I, I grew up in Virginia in the Appalachian mm-hmm. and the Piedmont and the Appalachian Mountains. And, and there's some conifers there. But when I moved to California, my mind was blown. I mean, it was almost like every mountaintop had some different species and the biogeography across California and even up into uh, the Cascades and across the Rocky Mountains and Nevada, you know, what a great basin. You can really see the story of plant biogeography through these conifers. And there's not that many of them, right? So if we think about conifers in a worldly sense, there's something like 660 species. And we compare that to flowering plants, which are 
phew, you know, whatever it is. It's it increases every day, right? I was going to say plants last, are described. Last I remember, like two hundred fifty thousand or something like that, right off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, probably three hundred thousand, if not four hundred thousand, that haven't been described yet. But the story is is wild, right? So the asteroid hit sixty six million years ago. And uh, that shifted the biogeography of phytogeography of plant life on Earth, right? So Mm -hmm. conifers went into decline, flowering plants arose, but yet the conifers still cover about 30% of the forested land on Earth, even though there's not as many species. So they still do really well in, in certain areas, and those areas are often say north of the 45th parallel, Mm -hmm. on mountaintops south of that area, on poor soils. And then you have the um, temperate rainforest, Pacific Northwest temperate rainforest, which is just this, you know, conifer wonderland right along the coast. So let me get this straight. Conifers. Yeah. (laughs) There aren't that many species. Yes. But they cover a huge amount of land yeah. as compared to flowering plants. Exactly. If you do like the proportion of one to the other and you try to lay them out proportionally over land, then conifers should have like almost no space. They should yeah. be like one conifer in the entire state of Oregon. Everything else is broadleaf trees. <laughs> that kind that kind of ratio, right. you know? So that is uh, so that's why they're like so fascinating, and why our area, and notably the Klamath Mountains, is such a unique spot because the Klamath Mountains have something like thirty-two species of conifer native to just that one little mountain range. Out of how many species total? About six hundred. He said six hundred and sixty. I've heard commonly six hundred and thirty. Okay, but um, that number is always like getting revised because someone lumps and someone splits that kind of thing. That's a huge huge amount of conifer diversity for yeah, one little space. It is. And then if you include, um, this is kind of what we're talking about a little bit today. What we're talking about today is endemism. Endemism. Endemism? Endemism. Thank you, Alex. I'm so sorry to hear you have an endemism. I have. It's, it's really hard. Uh, essentially, what that means, Alex, is a plant or an animal that lives only in one small specific area area right and it's endemic to that ecosystem or that specific spot and we are kind of discussing what that means because in the calamus it's just a place that's chock full of animals and plants that are endemic to it and nowhere else on the planet interesting so this carries over into other plants it's not just yeah this brewer spruce exactly it is just one of several the only place in the united states that can hold a candle to the calamus mountains in uh-huh. terms of the biodiversity as well as the amount of endemic species that are native there Mm. is actually the Southern Appalachian Mountains, like North Carolina down. Okay. Uh, Another place that has a whole lot of these characteristics. So if you like have a a map of the United States and you like color code it, like what is it, a heat map of like where the biggest biodiversity is? Right. It's the Klamath and the Siskiyou Mountains of uh, Southern Oregon, Northern California and Southern Appalachia. Got it. So we asked Michael to explain a little bit about what makes the Klamath Mountains so unique. Obviously, he just wrote a natural history book and edited a natural history book. There was, I think, 32 authors. He's the Um, guy to talk to about this. (laughs) Exactly. He's the guy to talk to. So um, basically, we wanted to know why he wanted to write a natural history about um, this place. Nobody had ever done one for the Klamath Mountains. And through my work writing Conifer Country, I just wanted to know more. I wanted to know everything. The the diversity of life in the Klamath Mountains is unparalleled. And and this occurs for a variety of reasons. One, 
is its proximity to the coast and the in the Pacific, mm-hmm. uh, which keeps it, it cool and um, moist, particularly on the west side of the range. But the Klamath Mountains are defined by geology, and it's an ancient geology. Um, the Calif- uh, the Klamath Mountain Geomorphic Province is something that has formed over about 150 million years. Uh, some of the rock that makes up that mountain range was formed even earlier in ophiolitic sequences under the ocean. And ophiolites are this uh, strange sort of volcanism that occurs deep down, and then it gets accreted onto the continent and then yeah. it's inhospitable to a lot of plant life but the, pl- the plants that can live on it are often endemic they grow nowhere else on earth so there's mm. this this fascinating level of um biodiversity created by these unique soils this unique climate um, but also the proximity the klamath mountains have to other mountain ranges so there's an influence from the north the pacific northwest we're really at the southern extent of the pacific northwest here based on I like to think the southern range extension of certain conifers like western red cedar, Sitka spruce, western mm-hmm. hemlock. But we also have an influence from the Great Basin, um, Oregon and, and uh, Nevada plants come in on the east side of the Klamath Mountains. And then we have the influence of the California Floristic Province uh, at the northern range extension. So it's this real crossroads and plants are just one way to see this diversity. Uh, the other amazing critters that live here, we have about 70 different taxa of snails, which uh, is fascinating. Nobody had really written about that before, so that no. a lot of research went into that. And then, I mean, the real amazing story that flies under the radar is our amphibian diversity. Yeah. Uh, uh, we have endemics. I think it's five or six endemic salamanders. I should know that. But, wow. Uh, um, amazing diversity of life. And it's all sculpted by this unique positioning of the Klamath Mountains uh, in Western North America, like I mentioned. And because of that, we have what I like to say is one of the most, probably the most diverse temperate coniferous forest on yeah. the planet. Oh, my God. Isn't he's just like a delight? It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and so he worked with like 32 other authors to come together with over like 10 years of research to do this like exhaustive work. It's so, it's so amazing. And the Klamath Mountains, like every time I hear more about them, I'm just like blown away. It is like, yeah, I guess this is one of those, it almost sounds like one of those things that you just get really interested in. Yeah. This very specific thing. And then you like, become obsessed with it yeah you would have to be i don't know i oh most definitely i guess like that's my perspective because i've never been like completely obsessed with like a natural science i yeah, guess totally um in the same way that michael and his and his uh co-workers are or that yeah. you are you know sometimes yeah i guess you just get wildly you know focused on something yeah well, this is at least a good place to get wildly focused on because there's so much to like keep your focus yeah. kind of sharp. You know, all the different snails, all the different amphibians, all the different trees, all the different plants, you know. And the fact that these mountains have been there for so long doing their thing makes it so that they are like constantly creating new things and new niches for things to Mm. live in and creating those new niches or having those niches kind of be existing there is what helps create these you know endemic species it's almost like a little tropical pocket there yeah kind of like that where it's just like wildly weirdly like crazily uh oh my god eventful no what uh oh jesus christ 
diverse. Yes. Diverse. <laughs> that was the word. That's the word I couldn't think of, which is why I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, and it's just like fast-paced evolution, living in the fast lane of evolution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and cool. you gotta love it. Like it just makes it so like wild of a place. Mm-hmm. So let's just let's just recap. So they are situated, uh, the Klamaths, mm-hmm. in this weird climate moderating space between these giant mountains that have come up on all sides, many of them after the Klamaths were already there. The Klamaths were there, and then the Cassidy. Cascades erupted on top of them okay. in some places. The uh, They're on this zone that was not covered by the glaciers um, that came down in the Pleistocene. They are high enough that they were refuges for plants that were living above if some glaciers did happen, because there are places that certainly glaciated in that area, but they were mountains that were high enough that they were kind of above the glaciers hmm. or um, were low enough that they created these nice refuges that were still warm. They have these influences from the east and the north and the yeah. south that are like vastly different plant, um, he calls them floristic provinces, huh. that all come together. So you get this, this diversity that pops together. Then you also add in these crazy, crazy things, um, the ovulites and this specific kind of soil called serpentine soils. Mm. And let's hear what he has to say about that. Serpentine, this is that ophiolitic stuff that I was mentioning. It's, it's a complex story, but, but basically these um, serpentine rocks, and we have the largest outcrops of serpentine rocks in North America here mm-hmm. uh, between uh, Northern California and Southern Oregon. But they are high in heavy metals like nickel and magnesium, so that they've often been pursued as spots to extract. But, you know, if you're isolated enough, the Klamath Mountains are really steep and often inaccessible, so a lot of these places have remained untouched, thankfully. Yeah. And um, due to this depauperate soil, the plants that grow there are almost always conifers with a manzanita understory. There's a few um, flowering uh, other fly like there we have an endemic oak the saddler's oak that enjoys some serpentine every once in a while and huckleberry oak quercus vexinifolium but basically these this is a conifer wonderland and um things like uh incense cedar love serpentine port orford cedar which is a near klamath mountain endemic love the serpentine mm-hmm. um and it it there's a variety of reasons the lack of competition that i mentioned earlier is a big one and conifers just do a really good job of dealing with uh, poor sites. You know, yeah. they have these mycorrhizal relationships with with fungi that help them with nutrient absorption. So the 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 um, serpentines really define uh, a lot of the Klamath Mountains. And where you were on Mount Eddy, that's in the eastern side of the range. Those are some of the most ancient serpentines of upwards of 300 million years ago that that rock was formed. And I mentioned wow. the Klamath Mountains are about 150 million years. That's because this rock was then, like I mentioned, thrown kind of on top of the continent. Yeah. And then there's also this influence of the these island arcs that form, these, these volcanic islands. Mm-hmm. And um, if you've ever been to the Blue Mountains of Northern Oregon. There's yeah. a connection there with the Klamath Mountains um, in the formation of that uh, similar rock type. So it's kind of this mix mash of all sorts of things that have been formed at different times and, and now thrown together. And that's often why it's called the Klamath Knot. The Klamath Knot. The Klamath Knot. <laughs> uh, that was good. Borat would be very proud. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, Borat been... 2 would be even prouder. Dude, Borat 2, great movie. I actually really liked it. <laughs> is it really? You should watch it, yeah. Yeah, he, I'll get around to it. He does a, the, the, the woman that's in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, it's his daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She crushes it. Really? It's so good. I think we've actually talked about this on the show one Have time. We? I think maybe. That's no surprise. Either way, go everyone go watch Borat 2. It aged... Uh, Borat one, maybe that didn't age very well, <laughs> but the response is not just like an Anger Man two where they just try to do the same thing again. Right, right. It's evolved. It's like a self aware evolution of the yeah. Borat thing. Really good. Like I, I really like it. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, Casey, a conifer wonderland. Isn't it beautiful? Why do you think I live here? I love it. So that is no, it's not. An, no, uh, the Klamath Mountains. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He, you know, I here. Right. Oh, you're right saying here. that that Wonderland extends up to the Pacific Northwest? Yeah. All right, Pacific all right. Pacific Wonderland. I'll give you that. Is that, what, <laughs> yes. is that what annoying people call the Pacific Northwest? Uh, no, it's on a license plate in Oregon. Pacific uh, Wonderland? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's one of, that it's is a, annoying. <laughs> oh, God. He's like, yeah, I, I hate it. <laughs> oh, geez, conifer Alex. Wonderland. It is. It's a conifer wonderland. But... Now you kind of get the idea why you'd find an endemic plant like the brewer spruce. Yeah. Because while everywhere else around it changed, either some conifers outcompeted it or other conifers or other plants uh, basically outcompeted it as well. It was like, well, this is like a really good site. And I just can't quite compete with the Douglas fir, so I, I'm not going to grow there. So you find it growing in these sites that are a little bit more specific in terms of the needs and the skills that you have to have to grow there. The Brewer Spruce has had those apparently for millions and millions of years. You know what the Klamath Mountains are? What? It's a Isle of Misfit Toys. Oh, dude. They just don't fit in anywhere else. There's a place for you in the Klamath <laughs> yeah. Mountains. Come on down to the Klamath Misfit Toy yeah. Mountain. That's a, that's a perfect uh, description, I think. Well, and that's the that's what kind of makes this brewer spruce really interesting. Um, but the other thing that makes it interesting is that it's an endemic. But the question is, like, how how did it become endemic? Because there's a, there's a couple different ways. Sure. So there's a couple types of endemic plants or a couple types of endemism. There's paleoendemics, and paleo means ancient, right? So we've yeah. uh, a great example, and I'll I'll stick to the conifers here, but we can talk about some flowering plants after. Who but a great example them? is is the brewer spruce. Okay. And the brewer spruce used to have a range much broader across Western North America. There's fossil evidence from Nevada and Idaho. Um, and, and what has happened over time is as climates have shifted, climate that we still have in the Klamath Mountains today mimics this more ancient climate of, of moist, these, these pockets where uh, it might, it's also dry, right? But we have this influence of the California Floristic Province and drying mm. out in the summer. We don't get rain here for a couple of months. Um, well, much rain. We we occasionally get thunderstorms, so we don't get like the the storms that we get in the winter don't happen in the summer. Yeah. And so this the Brewer spruce has more or less retracted its range into the Klamath Mountains only. I see. And that's a that's an ancient endemic, right? So it's a it's a plant that that grows nowhere else on Earth. Um, it used to grow much more broadly, and now we call it a Klamath Mountain endemic. Now, yeah. and there's also neo endemics, and these are neo means newer, right? So. Uh, on these serpentine landscapes in particular, it's a great example. We have uh, species that are arising more recently in time. So maybe it's over the last 10,000 years since the end of the Pleistocene when the climate shifted again. And through isolation, 
on, uh, say, a specific outcrop of serpentine like Mount Eddy. Mount Eddy's mm-hmm. a, a great example of this. You have these um, foxtail pines. There's also a polymonium that grows up there, the Mount Eddy sky pilot, a beautiful mountain, high mountain flower. Uh, only It's the only place on earth that flower grows, and it's been isolated there. There's another population of polymonium on Mount Shasta, but they're uh-huh. not swapping genes anymore, right? So this... Yeah. Um, it's an endemic to the Klamath and specifically Mount Eddy. So that's the, the story of the endemism, and a uh, brief story anyway. How can he say it so easily? <laughs> so frustrating. <laughs> anyway, so you have these two main kinds of, uh, of endemic plants, of endemism. And I always thought that's such a fascinating idea, you know? So one is like essentially which came first the plant or the thing that the the plants growing on right right so in this case the plant has always been here and then it just has retracted its range to be only in this one spot as opposed to other plants coming in adapting to that spot and now they are growing there and only there because they've done that adaptation and that's paleo and neo respectively correct yeah so our brewer spruce is a uh, a paleo endemic species because it's obviously so old the all of the spruces of all the world started here in north america Mm. and this is the one that just hasn't changed the whole time so cool it's growing down there it's weeping all over the place and it's just being (laughs) it's just being itself it's just like this sad uh indie musician from you know four million years ago that you're just like wow they're still making music amazing (laughs) wow it's an incredible tree i mean what a story um it's i i think it's always i love a living fossil too yeah right like that's always so fascinating to me that this same we have this plant in two forms living in front of us yeah and from millions of years ago yeah right in rock form in rock form in like indie rock form very good exactly (laughs) well casey big thank you to michael kaufman for chatting with us hey if you want to hear that whole discussion yeah you can head to our patreon and join at the five dollar a month level that's called the arboretum and you unlock got a treasure trove of Mm -hmm. past and present uh bonus episodes the entire conversation with michael is on there and uh, yeah, we thank Michael for his time and so much. And thanks, Casey, for chatting with him. And we thank yeah, you for listening to this conversation. <laughs> hey, we'll be right back with our review of the Brewer Spruce. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. That was our discussion of the Brewer's Spruce with Michael Kaufman, uh, just a just a, a steel trap mind of a oh my man. God. Yeah, uh, it's time for our review of the Brewer's Spruce. Casey, exactly. here's how it works. We're yeah. gonna give some final thoughts on the Brewer's Spruce. Mm-hmm. Should we also give a little uh, sub review to the Klamath Mountains? I think that would be right. Ooh, okay, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, give these things a rating from zero to ten golden cones of honor. Casey, right. as our resident endemistic man Ooh, it's like encino right. man yeah i'm only right here that's right <laughs> nowhere else we begin with you okay so i uh funny enough have never uh i'm trying to think 
the first time I saw a Brewer Spruce. And mm. I can't remember. I think that I was driving around through the Siskiyous and um, randomly saw one. I was so stoked. I collected the cones, and they were just the worst cones ever. Like, they were old, and they were falling apart, oh. and they were very brittle. But it, I was like, I got them. This is good. I'm going to count yeah. them. Then... Uh, I went down uh, last summer and I was like, I'm going to find, I know they're out here in this one spot. I'm going to mm. go find them. I'm going to go like get a good cone. To the Klamath Mountains, you mean? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I went down to um, the Eastern Klamath Mountains. Uh, it was the Russian wilderness yeah. and uh, such a beautiful, wonderful place, like totally worth getting there. That's where the Miracle Mile is that I, I think we've talked about. Right, yeah. Which Michael also has talked about where you can find 18 conifers in a square mile. Crazy. It's wild like it's just it's so it's it's just such a crazy amount of diversity and you collected all of them all yes uh except for one i couldn't find the uh the western juniper that's growing in that area and that's very sad it's okay i'm gonna go back and find it yeah but holy hell it is it's just a fantastical place. Mm. And I saw the tree and I was like, there it is. <laughs> and it's just like this weeping thing. I found one growing like kind of off this precipice. So you could like see the whole view of it. And wow, I was just taken by it. And I think I'm more taken by the tree, not because it's a gorgeous tree. Interestingly, Alex, I actually don't find weeping trees to be that spectacular. Sure. A lot of people really like the cascading effect of it, yeah, you know? It's an acquired taste. It is. And there are some that I do really like. I, I uh, The weeping beech tree, for example. I think the big ones are just fantastic looking trees. I think it's just a little bit tacky. Yes, exactly. I think so. And so initially, my thought, if I just saw it growing, I'm like, eh. A little, little much. Sure. Whereas uh, when you see it growing out in the woods, it's not the fact that it's doing its thing. It it doesn't really matter. It's that oh my god, there's that tree. There's it's like you, it's like you see this this thing that like is so rare. Like oh my god, there he is. He's right there. Yeah. Oh my gosh, should I go say hi? What can I do? Can I go? Can I have a cone? Hi. Can I have a cone? <laughs> Like, and then he would do that like Turkish ice cream man thing with you. <laughs> what? <laughs> no idea what that is. Uh, yeah, we um, might have to get into that later. I'll, I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh yeah. So it's just one of those uh, one of those trees that when you see it, you're like, oh my god, that there, there it is. That tree that you can't find anywhere else. It just grows right here. It's got that weird cone. And then you go back and you learn that it's an ancient tree. So for me, I think I'm going to give the Brewer Spruce. I think I'm going to give it an eight point. Damn. I'm going to give it an 8.3 because like one of the big things that like that sticks in my mind of why I think this has to be considered a cool tree mm-hmm. is that it's only growing in the Kalamaths and it has been growing and doing the same thing for so long that every single other spruce tree in the entire world is younger than it is not even on its level. Yeah. And has come back in and refound it. And it's been like, I've been here the whole time, baby. Yeah. I don't care. So I just think that's like OG badass it's about this cool. tree. I like the cones. I think they're great. I like that the tree can get big and still have its rough and rowdy, droopy appearance, like a like a gigantic monster with like such old matted fur that's like hanging down. Like it just kind of has this like kind of like this appearance of like, okay, you're you're cooler than me. Like I don't know why. Hippie mountain hermit kind of yeah, vibe. Exactly. Exactly. So like, yeah, I, I, I have like respect for it 
it's not that I would necessarily want to plant it in my yard and like have this beautiful specimen tree. Yeah. It's not at that level. It's not no. beautiful. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't want to be there. Exactly. Yes, exactly. It's like, Hey, have you ever heard of an electric guitar? And then it just vomits on you, you know? <laughs> so that's what I think. 8.3 8. For, 8. for this 3. super cool, unique tree. Okay, a great score. Now, Alex, Very solid. What, what do you think? Because a lot of this tree has has aesthetics that I think you would have an opinion on. Yeah, I don't, I, I'll be, I'm with you on the weepingness. I'm not yeah. a big fan of weeping trees. I guess like weeping willows are kind of cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, even, that might be the one exception. Maybe, yeah. yeah. But even then, I'm like, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. It, it doesn't like, it doesn't, ooh, it doesn't take my breath away. It, they re, it immediately reminds me of like, uh, I guess like 18th century paintings and Pocahontas oh, and like yeah. the 90s, essentially. Really? Okay. Um, yeah, back in the, the, the 1890s. You got it. <laughs> uh, I guess no, 18th century is the 1790s. The 1790s. Yeah. Well, sorry. Yeah. I, I, I always wonder, I always, uh, I always mix that up. Yeah. I have to be like very intentionally delete subtract one Me from too. the thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whenever I'm reading something, I'm always like, okay, they're talking about the 1790s. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I think it's endemism is very cool. Well done. Uh, I think that it's, it's got a great like vibe. I have no emotional connection to it, unfortunately, um, like you or Michael might, but that's fine. My cones are my own. Your cones are your own. Mm-hmm. And I feel Hmm, like a 7.2. Whoa, that's way higher than I thought. Really? Yeah. I, th- I still think it's a great tree, and it's, okay. I like the whole I like the whole kind of canon around it. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but 7.2, yeah, I, 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 it's been a while since I've given a sub. Well, I guess last week I gave like a 2. Yeah, yeah. But before that, I, I usually don't go too far below 6 or so. Yeah, that's very fair, um, yeah. You had your, uh, your Michelin star rating scheme for a while. Yeah, I don't like, know what happened to that. Yeah, it was hard to conceptualize, I think. <laughs> like, I think everyone got it, but they're yeah. like, we don't know how you're actually formulating this. It, it wasn't all that sustainable. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was our, okay. yes, uh, what, what did I say, 6.2? Uh, you said 7. 7.2. I said uh, 8.3. 7.2, yes. Yeah. So okay. it's a tree that's like, yeah, go plant that tree. Don't, don't, don't choose any other spruce. Plant, plant that one. Yeah. That's what, I, that's what I think we're getting at. I think so. I like other spruces too, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think spruces in general are a little tacky in 90s. Whoa. Yeah, like a blue Save spruce is very 90s. Oh, yeah, I think that's true. I, yeah, I, I see that. In fact, I see it as like a 70s going to 80s. Yeah, sure. And I feel like 70s going to 80s was like a hard, hard transition for us to make. <laughs> and that's because I Cocaine. think... Cocaine. Oh. Yeah, but, but, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think that the, those that entire transitory fashion period rough yeah real rough any any decade shift is like whoa what are we gonna do now yeah yeah exactly um that was our review of the brewer spruce it's time for our completely arbitrary q and a this week's question is from alexis on the patreon alexis writes hi casey and alex hi alexis hello I need to know, what's the deal with willows? Hey, speaking of willows. Oh, yeah. And why haven't they conquered all the forests yet? (laughs) They're so fast growing. They root super easily. And I've even seen a few willows that have fallen down and sprouted five or six upright mini trees from the wreckage. They're so vigorous. How does anything manage to outcompete them? Uh, thanks for your question, Alexis. Good question, Casey. That's a great question. I like that question quite a bit. This makes sense to me. Yeah? Willows are... 
are kind of a, an absurd little little class of tree. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. The the term "new roots, new shoots" yeah originated from our Black Willow episode. Mm, that is so so correct. They are the they are the king of restarting and refreshing. Yeah, that's really true. So this is a fun question because it's a it it's a it it's fun to think about a tree like doing everything and you're like why are you not the champion like you've done it all what are you missing i think i know ah do you want to go i you can may i please just to see let's see what you got well environment it is the environment what do you mean well they only grow in a certain they grow in riparian areas Mm, yes um and wait, they also grow outside of riparian areas, don't they? Uh, not a whole lot. They okay. really prefer to be like almost with their feet in the water. They grow in riparian areas. If you take one and plant it in a non-riparian area, yeah. riparian meaning on the border of the water and the land. Yes, exactly. Uh, it won't know what to do with itself and it'll not grow. <laughs> and it'll just implode. So it's, it commands yeah. its little zone, but... If you put it in a different place, it's like ah. it's like taking the star quarterback of your high school team and putting him on, you know, the Patriots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, and that's, suddenly yeah. he gets crushed because he's used to dominating his field, mm. but you know the competition's different. Yeah, I think that's a. I think that is a fair uh, a fair <sighs> descriptor. You don't like it? I, can I tell. do. Well, there's there's a, there's a couple more bits to it. Okay, but I think what you have noted is a very very important section of this. So I do like it very much. Don't take that away from you. All right. Don't take that away from you. <laughs> so the if you have a, um, I think you're you're right in that they have put they basically said I'm going to grow next to water and I am going to suck that water so fast that I'm going to be able to never slow down. Yeah, boy. And they get to take everything. They they just get to go as fast as they can. So they grow out there. They are able to respond to changes in the water really quickly, which is why they can sprout. Whenever they fall down, they re-sprout again because half the time the water they're next to is rushing and it floods and it breaks them down. So they have to have that response or else they just get literally wiped off of their planet. Yeah. So they have made all of their adaptations uh, exactly perfect for their spot. So you're right. If you take them out and you give them a bit of a hard time with less cushy soils or rather maybe more cushy soils but less water in the soil Mm. then they're like whoa i can't grow quite as fast because i'm not getting all the water that i normally would use so water is the thing that plants kind of run through really quickly because they suck it in and then they put it out in photosynthesis and they use it to do you know a bunch of other stuff it's just a big part of their process just like you and i drink water all the time so as soon as there is a change in that they are not competing quite as well. And that is the other side of this equation where the willow has a budget, just like every tree has a budget of energy. And some trees put all of their energy to reproduction. Some trees put it all towards um, growing really fast and just getting up and out competing. And other trees put it towards, say, longevity, where they would say, we're going to put this on defense. So if you are Uh. a willow, you've taken all of your energy budget and you've put it towards fast growth and reproduction. And you've left very little for, uh, for your protection. I see. 
Other trees maybe grow a little bit slower, but they can do it uh, in a little bit less good conditions. They can do it with uh, maybe shade, uh, a bit of shade above them. And on top of that, they've taken their excess and they've put it towards defense. So if something attacks them, they can withstand that and continue growing. You have things like the uh, giant sequoia uh-huh. who take their budget and invest it long term. Yeah. And just like play the long game. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and, okay. and the long game usually has more defense and strength in their yeah. wood. The irony about this is that the, um, the, the, redwoods and the sequoias actually also grow really fast so they're kind of the exception to this kind of rule where they they this is why they were ranked so highly by me is that they they've maxed out their budget on all (laughs) levels so they're like they're they're the uh they're like apple corp or something like that they're just the biggest company around and they have the resources to put a hundred percent to everything yeah um, so the willows, the reason they don't compete so well is first off because, yeah, you're changing their environment and they have built their budget based on their environment. So if you change their environment but not their mm. budget, then all of a sudden they're not competing quite as well, just like what you're saying. This guy, his football team, they're not very fast. They're not very strong. So you can just be just the right amount of toughness. But when you put them next to the Patriots or some other football team that is really, really tough, then you're just going to get bashed around. Yeah. So that's kind of what happens with willows. Now, some willows do compete and they actually have messed with their budget. So they do grow taller, go do something else. But for the most part, they're very decay um, or they're very susceptible to decay. So mm. if you do get some wound in them, they'll start to decay really quickly. They won't like withstand and and keep the fungus out and say, no, I'm going to compartmentalize this and going to keep growing like what an oak often would do or an Osage orange or some other plant that has like this wild amount of decay resistance in their wood. A bald cypress, another great example. So all those trees have budgeted towards defense. The willow has not. So the willow gets blasted out. It is It is interesting to me that a, a tree that grows basically in the water yeah. would not be all that decay resistant. Right? They're it's, just like... It's water. Who cares? Right? So actually with the bald cypress, uh-huh. it's the same thing. Right, the bald yeah. cypress grows in the same kinds of swamps, but it grows up and is a little bit slower and is very decay resistant wood. Of course, this is coming from, you know, it's a conifer or not a, a broadleaf tree. So there's like all these other like fundamental differences. But if we just take it at face value for what it is, the willow, instead of doing the decay resistance, they just shoot out really fast and then do all that. And then when they do decay, their response, instead of just dying, is saying, okay, I'm just going to regrow again yeah. from this other spot that's not decayed. Yeah. So they never die. They just are like a hydra. Mm. So yeah, they. I guess they're just like, well, okay, what if we do die and we just start over? Can we just do that? And they're like, yeah, this is working for us. Let's just do that. Right. And of course, nature and evolution is not something that's working towards some perfection. It just responds to whatever works at the time. So it could be that the willow just has always done the same thing because it's just never not died out completely. Yeah. So this is just what's working for the willow over the, you know, millions and millions of years. Interesting. So, there you go. It's a very good question. Yes, very thought-provoking. Thank you, Alexis. Yes. Uh, If you have a question for us, join the Patreon at the $3 a month tier. That's Quercus and Alder, Q&A. That's right. Submit it there, and if you don't get your question read on the mainline episodes, we do intermittent... 
Patreon exclusive Q and A episodes where you most definitely will get your question read Every and answered. Question. That's right. In a marathon session, usually. Yeah, usually. Yeah. I think yeah. our last record was two hours. I think it was. It was something long. But then again, we hadn't actually gone back in and answered those questions in a long time, so we gave it a we gave it a long time for people to ask questions. Let it build up a little bit. Yeah. yeah thank you guys. Uh, or you can join the Arboretum for two bonus episodes a month. That's five bucks. Or at ten dollars, the Cone of the Month Club. Yep. Every month, you get a unique die-cut cone sticker illustrated by an independent artist. You can see all those on our Instagram when we announce them. Uh, this month is, well, the one that the one that our patrons will be getting this month is the U, the American U, or the yes. Can- Canada U. Exactly. Uh, illustrated by our friendly Leanne Flug. That's right. You can also get access to all of the last two years worth of cones yeah. with secret hidden access to our secret hidden cone store. It's very groovy, baby. Yes. <laughs> it's very groovy, baby. Yes. <laughs> um, above that is Arbitrary Plus, our live stream tier. You get two live streams with Casey. Casey and I a month or and and one one with Casey and I I should clarify one with Casey and I one with just me playing a tree themed video game uh those are really fun it's a lot of fun to do you're a tight little community of people and it's uh we hope we hope to see it grow and see more of you in there that's exactly right above that generous admission our premier top tier that's that's the definition of top tier, Casey. Oh, it sure is. Yeah, you you can only get this at like the premium gas station pump. That's at right. Six. This is diesel Patreon <laughs> we're talking about. And give us twenty bucks a month or whatever you choose to really support the show. That but I, I, any tier supports the show. Even listening to the show and not joining the Patreon supports the show. So we're just grateful to have you here, Casey. Clap. That's right, Alex Croson. Uh, break a leg tonight. Thank you, my friend. Hey, I'll dedicate one to you. Whoa, thank you. Wow. I'm going to maybe think about getting chicken and then rethink it. (laughs) Yeah. I also want to listen to this conversation you have with the bartender (laughs) and see how that goes. Casey, how many drinks have you had? (laughs) Shut up, Alex. Where's this bartender at? (laughs) You become a Bostonian when you drink? (laughs) Yeah, I do. Uh, Makes sense. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Completely Arbitrary. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. See you guys. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 